Well, hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Kudzu Radio Hour. I'm your host, Michael Buffalo Smith, or one of your hosts. We'll have the other three guys joining us here in just a little bit, okay? This is uh, Kudzu Radio Hour number 149. Can't believe next week will be our 150th show. Wow. This podcast was recorded on Saturday, April 17th, 2021. And uh, we're going to be talking about great keyboard players, piano, organ, synthesizer. Somebody may even name a guitar player, but if they do, we'll shoot them. <laughs> Just kidding. Sort of, sort of, kind of, sort of. Anyway. Kudzu Radio Hour is brought to you uh, by our friends at Springer Mountain Farms. Springer Mountain Farms, fresh chicken. Responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever, ever, ever. Remember that, folks. It's healthier and it's raised on family farms, not corporate farms. Okay. Get more information on Springer Mountain Farms' wonderful chicken, or you can order it online and have it delivered to your house. You can go and find out all you need to know at SpringerMountain.com. Springer, let's try that again. SpringerMountain.com. SpringerMTN.com. Springer Mountain Farms Chicken. It's the only name to remember when it comes to chicken. It's the best there is, baby. I'm not kidding you. I can attest to it. It's the only kind of chicken. It's the only kind of chicken that I've had that I've eaten in at least a year. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about, I don't, I don't do drive-thrus anymore. I used to do drive-thrus and we'll go see the Colonel and things like that. I don't even like it fried. No, I prefer the Springer Mountain Farms chicken grilled. Oh man, it's just so tasty. You wouldn't want to ruin it by frying it, but you could fry it if you wanted to. Springer Mountain Farms, the name to remember. The band, uh, the uh, pro, uh, okay. Why can't I talk today? Well, anyway, the program is also brought to you by. Our buddies, the box masters, gearing up for what we feel we hope is going to be their summer tour. They weren't able to do it last summer because of COVID, but the rumors say that they are going to be able to this time. Keep listening and we'll let you know when the when they decide to go out and, and do shows. So you can go catch the hottest band in the land. I mean, they are so good. They're promoting their latest album, Light Rays. It's the best album that they've put out so far. And that is saying quite a lot because they're all good. Good stuff. Light Rays is an amazing album. You can get it on CD, vinyl or download on their website. Uh, just go over to the theboxmasters.com and you can find out how to order that and you can all, you can also order 
previous uh, CDs, and you can auto order autographs, merchandise, all sorts of cool stuff at theboxmasters.com. That's right, baby. It's all good, man. Every bit of it. Kudzu Magazine number 41 is still out there and still free and nothing's changing there. We're uh, hard at work on issue 42, but it's going to be a little while. Uh, magazine usually comes out around every three months. So that gives us probably uh, another month before the new one. Meanwhile, uh, check out Kudzu number 41 with a cover uh, story an interview with the excellent Freddie Salem, former member of that guitar army known as the Outlaws, and just all sorts of great stuff. Just go to Kudzu Mag, kudzumag.com. Just make sure you spell Kudzu, K-U-D-Z-O-O. So it's K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G.com, kudzumag.com. And uh, thanks, thanks. Please make sure and check it out. All right, well, we're gonna be back here in just a few minutes with some more music. Uh, one of the bands that I've really gotten into lately, uh, thanks to my podcast partners, uh, I somehow or another, I knew I'd heard of Alex Shilton, but I didn't know too much about Big Star and I've been really listening to a lot of Big Star. And then it really, uh, I found it quite amusing when I heard this song playing and I was like, I've heard that song before. <laughs> and well, of course I have. It turned out it was the, uh, they used it as the theme song from that 70s show. Uh, so anyway, the song's called In the Street by Big Star. And after this, we'll be back with the whole Hee Haw gang. I'll stick around. We'll be right back right after this tune.
What a great way to kick things off, man. One of my, a band that's been, you know, been on the scene for a million years, but for me, it's like I've just discovered them thanks to the guys on the podcast. Uh, it's a band called Big Star, and I know you recognize the song as the uh, In the Street was the theme song from that 70s show. And who didn't love that 70s show? And who didn't love Donna on that 70s show? Oh, I'm sorry. I uh, also liked uh, uh, Kunis, uh, Mila Kunis, the, the other girl. Jackie. Yeah, oh man, even though she was awfully young in, in that show, but she grew up very nicely, I, I might add. But since I'm bordering on pornographic, I'm going to skip right over all that. Yeah, thank and you. Say, <laughs> and introduce you to the other guys in the, uh, in the band. Uh, we, uh, we have uh, from Austin, Texas, playing the guitar is uh, Jim Hemphill. <laughs> Hey y'all! <laughs> the guitar. Yeah, yeah, and uh, sure, why not? Also from Austin, Texas, the guy handling all of the parts of the triangle is Patrick. Oh, he plays all is, three. He plays all three sides of that damn triangle. He does, and I do it. I do it with my feet. How you doing, boys? What's up, Mister yeah, Mister yeah. Isosceles? Mister Is <laughs> Isosceles. Wasn't that a character in the in Cats? No, that was Misopheles. I'm sorry. Uh, oh. Okay, well, and then the other guy, uh, he just plays mostly plays hooky. Yeah, uh, I play hooky a lot. He's from uh, Massachusetts, but not from Boston. He's from I'm, Whoville. I've never even been to Boston. <laughs> well, you know, please come to Boston. Yeah, for the well, winter. Yeah, I knew better than to set you up for that. Hey, yeah. uh, so what's that? How's things in the Sparkle City, man? Uh, getting better every day, man. How, how's everything over to Roebuck? Everything's great at Roebuck. It's everything's great in Spartanburg. It's beautiful, beautiful spring and summer. Uh, my, um, my, uh, flowers are starting to come up out there in the flower bed that I planted and, uh, I planted Excellent. some bulbs and they're, uh, I, I can't, I, I'm not an expert on names of flowers. I know that they, there were the they, red they, ones. <laughs> Those are maybe, the maybe thing that sold me on them was, um, uh, not the name of the flower, but the subgenre. they're called slim Whitman's. Who doesn't like that? Oh, Rosemary. Uh, yeah. Anyway, all that kind of stuff. We're going to be talking later on today about um, keyboard players. And when I say keyboard players, that can be anything from piano to organ to accordion? Uh, synthesizer, accordion, accordion, but anybody who names a key, anybody who names a guitar player gets fired because the only guitar player we allow is Jim. What about yeah. harpsichord? harpsichord harpsichord now if you know any really good harpsichord or clavinet players yeah <laughs> uh, there's uh, only one clavinet player man yeah. in my world well, <laughs> and, well and we needed it we should say i don't know if you if you call a farfisa on organ or i think it's like an entity unto itself the farfisa uh that's you know that's uh 
And uh, is that one, is that what the guy from the Doors played too? With a, for Fiji? yeah, he mostly had a bunch yeah, of yeah. And and then the, I know the ones from the uh, Swinging Medallions from Greenwood, South Carolina. Double shot of my baby's love. That was all for Fiji. I remember the. I remember that Ben. Yeah, Sir that, Douglas, Sir Douglas, Augie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is he on your man? Is he on your list? He is not. Okay, good. We probably should start stop talking about keyboard players, or we're gonna, we're gonna <laughs> right? Are we gonna ever trample gonna, all over our list? Well, see, we did that. We do that on Happy Hour. Billy was sitting there last night, naming off all mine. And I'm going, shut up, <laughs> shut up. I didn't say it. I just thought it real loud. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this week's reading from the Bible. Uh, our the, my, the, our the new Bible. Bible. Yeah, the new Bible. It's, it, it's uh, because of, um, I think Jim originally, Rolling Stones uh, Alt-Rock-O-Rama, which is better than just a book of lists. It's, it's just so much. And who knew? I had no idea that Alt-Rock, whatever that really is. <laughs> it means uh, not on a major label, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's like it covers everything in the world. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be reading from a chapter about, uh, how bands got their name. I found this one very interesting and I hope you at home, our viewers are, pl- are reading along, are reading along. Not only that, and just remember that the show is broadcast in Technicolor, but this is, uh, is this going to be referring to a beautiful band called the butthole surfers? In from austin above, texas yeah another great te- texas crops up in this book like every time you turn around uh band names that they had before they were the butthole surfers because the butthole surfers was a song that they did and then they got <clears throat> in austin by uh chris gates of the big boys and he called them the butthole surfers and they, well let's just use that until then they had been i love this one the Dick Clark Five, <laughs> nine foot worm makes own food. They got, they Wait, I can't guarantee you that was a Weekly World News headline. <laughs> yeah, I, I guarantee you. It had that to be. Was a Weekly World News. We, we used to steal stuff out in college. The Weekly World News. We would we would like take those things and stick them to the wall. Those headlines. The Vodka Family Winston's, Abe Lincoln's Bush, (laughs) the inalienable right to eat Fred Astaire's asshole. (laughs) Wow. Ashtray baby heads. Ashtray baby heads. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Independent Worm Saloon. That ended up uh, as an uh, album title for theirs. Yeah, it's just great stuff, man. Uh, anyway, so I won't I won't go any further because there's so many. Um, and I'm not even going to read on the air the the part about how the Circle Jerks got their name because if you don't know, you don't need to know. I got to say a couple of things about the Butthole Surfers. Uh, Please do. Number one is there's a club in Iowa City, Iowa called Gabe's Oasis, and and the surfers play there. 
and they were killing time before they came on and they wrote a whole bunch of fake band names on the wall. And the only one I can remember is spastic backhoe, which I think would have been just brilliant. And the other thing is, the other thing is, um, that they were reading the uh, Austin Chronicle, which is the alternative weekly here today, and they saw an ad for a show by it was billed as Mark Farner of Grand Funk Railroad, and they'd just gotten a dog, so they named the dog Mark Farner of Grand Grand Funk Railroad. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah, I had um, I had an ongoing list for years, and I finally published it. I did a I did a book like about a year or two ago called. Uh, the Buffalo reader and it collected a bunch of columns and just crazy crap that I'd written. And, and one of them was these, uh, where I'd come up with different band names, uh, over the years, things that I thought, you know, I had one on my head was called Zach on a zip line, but that I ended up using some of these fake names in, um, this fictional story that I'm writing, uh, about, rock and roll bands and uh i really thought it was a pretty good name it was uh knuck and futz knuck and futz baby billy billy's just not doing much moving at all he's just real still <laughs> probably went to get a beer oh that's right yeah well uh yeah that all that being said uh uh let's see Gotta remember. Let me get my cue sheet. Sorry, folks. There's just too many things open on my computer. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, oh, yeah, it's high fidelity, which uh, I believe Jim was going to handle oh. for us. Okay. High Make fidelity. One up. <laughs> I made one up. I made one up about five minutes ago. Okay, good. Doing and it, the, the theme is delayed gratification or waiting for the penny to drop. And the question, the, 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 the query is name something musical that at first you did not appreciate and you came to appreciate either through repeated listenings or the passage of time or whatever. could be a band, could be a song, could be an album, could be anything. Um, mine is to just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Mine is one of a, a record that this, you know, that I eventually came to just love, but at first I was very kind of put off by and that is i've talked about this before the first gang of four album entertainment which came out in 1980 and was or 79 79 or 80 anyway which to me at first was kind of hard to get into because it was so both the production and the songs it was really weird it was very english guys playing something that sounded like they were trying to play funk with very dry and brittle and spiky production, not much reverb, bad sounding, solid state distortion on the guitars and everything. And after a few listens, all of a sudden, it was just like, oh, and it is now one of my favorite records. It was hard for me to listen to at first, but it's one of the reasons why I always, uh, when I get something new, try to give it a chance to open up and breathe to me because there's some things, you know, like the first time I heard Cheap Tricks in Color was like, where has this music been all my life? This is exactly what I want out of a rock and roll record. Uh, you know, The Dolls, 
I got from the jump, the Ramones I got from the jump, but some things you just don't get right away. And that was, that was my example. So something that you had to wait for the penny to drop before it clicked with you. Nice. Nice. Go whatever order you want to go in. Go ahead, Michael. Well, can I, can I do two? I have one. I had, I've got two in the, uh, these, uh, the first one goes back, uh, to the first B 52s album. And I just did not get it. I did not understand. I'm listening to it. And I worked at a country radio station and I was there by myself. So I was playing this through the speakers, real nice sound system. And I was listening to the, uh, rock lobster and uh there's there's a moon in the sky it's called the moon I'll, i'm like what the hell is this <laughs> and i was like man this is just ridiculous well then it was only just a few weeks later that i was down at the 40 watt seeing the band and suddenly it all made sense it was like oh they're not trying to be philosophical they're just a, they're just there for the party you know, it's a dance party, dance music, dance party. And, uh, and I, and I just got to where I just loved, loved that album. And this one, you will never believe this one, but my first exposure, uh, long about 1975 to Bruce Springsteen's born to run. I thought it sucked. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? This guy can't sing. I don't like this at all. And I'm like, listening to it. And I'm like, mm. my buddy was like, listen to that meeting across the river. You're going to love that. And I'm like, what's that about? I'm a dumbass from Spartanburg. I don't know what it's about. Drug deal. What's that? You know, and it's so funny that that would end up being like my all time Thunder Road ended up being my like all time favorite song in the world. And born to run well everything on that album and uh but and then i went back and got asbury park and wild the innocent and all that and then when the river came out don't even talk about that the day that the river came out i was already uh primed for springsteen and when i bought that two record set i didn't listen to anything else for like six months but just that album over and over and over but it's kind of weird i mean i think people would probably understand the b-52s thing more than springsteen uh but i'm just being honest what do you think billy oh this has been real quiet <laughs> uh well okay well since he's not here uh uh Patrick Beach. Well, uh, I, another vote for Springsteen. I don't know what it was, but I just wasn't ready for him. Uh, he was he was waiting for me. <laughs> and I remember uh, when Born in the USA hit, it was such a monster record. You know, one of the biggest records of the decade. Almost every single song was a was a single. And he came to Hilton Coliseum in ames iowa where i was going to school and so was jim i think still at the time is that right jim you were still probably there? i i yeah, was there yeah. i mean that was the, you, yeah, were that was the you were there you were there yeah you didn't but, see and, when he was there on the river tour you were too too young no though, no guess. no and i went over i went over the night of the show to try to scalp a ticket and i couldn't find one uh but 
something just didn't hold my attention then for the longest time. And now if you test my blood, it's going to be about 60 or 65% the ghost of Tom Joad. Uh, I just positively adore everything about him, even though, you know, he's made some less than perfect records, but man, oh man, that guy's stuff is in my marrow. And the second, since you had two, I'm going to do two as well. The second is The Clash. Jim had a great deal to do with my uh, influencing my musical taste when I was young and very impressionable. And, uh, and he tried to turn me on to the first Clash album. It was like, these guys can't play. And at that time, <laughs> ne- ne- neither could I. Even less than I can't now. Um, <laughs> I just was not. I just was not ready for it. It was too raw. It was too rough. It was like if I'd heard the first Ramones album when it came out, you know. And uh, and then they did give him enough rope. And then they put out London Calling, and Jim said, "Hey, I'm going to let you borrow this. Sounds like they've had some lessons." And of course, it's one of the greatest albums of all time. So yeah, it was. Yeah. It was definitely. It was definitely the clash once again. They were ahead of me. I had to catch up. Those are my two. Let me ask you this, Patrick. When you're talking about Bruce, I just, just uh, as an aside, I wanted to ask you, what were your impressions when you first heard Nebraska? Uh, it's really interesting because there's been a number of times in his career where it was kind of put up or shut up time. And Born to Run, Born to Run was definitely one of those. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, of course, he had the, the fiasco with his manager on Darkness. Yeah, all right. And then, uh, you know, he has a relationship with a, with a, a new manager going into uh, Nebraska. And he says, you just ought to put out these eight-track demos. It's kind of a crazy notion. But uh, because he'd done well enough uh, with the past two records... You know, he got some MTV airplay with Atlantic City, and uh, and uh, my impression was it was kind of a good move. It was it was bold and shrewd, and the really cool thing about how his songs have aged is how malleable they are. You know, oh yeah, uh, you can do uh, you can do a full band arrangement with any song on Nebraska, and they do. And, uh, you know, you can Irish up some of his songs if they're in the mood for that, things like that. Uh, I really, I really like how he makes them adaptable and, and nowhere did he do that more boldly probably than when he was on that solo tour that Jim saw with the 12 string acoustic where he completely turned born in the USA upside yeah. down. That was, oh yeah. That was, yeah. I didn't see great. it, but I sure saw it on video. It was, it yeah. was, it was terrific. It really yeah. was terrific. It was, you know, I'm curious, was there, was there something that a per- particular event for you, Patrick? Cause I know you, you know, you, you're, you, <clears throat> I won't say late in life. Um, <laughs> that you came to Springsteen, but it was, it was, it was later in your career. Like you said, you know, it was certainly after he was the phenom that he was with born in the right. USA. You, right. you came to it much later than that. What, what was there's a particular thing that, that made it click for you? I really wish I could tell you there was, but there was no Eureka moment. Mm-hmm. In fact, in fact, uh, since I blew my chance to see him on born in the USA, 
And then he mothballed the East readers. The first time I saw him, the first two times I saw him was when I was critiquing. And he had those, he had that pickup band, mostly from LA. He was living oh, in LA yeah. too. Oh, yeah, and human touch, lucky human town touch, here. human touch, yeah, lucky yeah. Town. yeah. And uh, maybe that was when I started to get it. I knew uh, because I was uh, reviewing music and, and shows at that time, I knew I had to get up to speed on his catalog. And so maybe I hadn't done that before. Lucky Town and Humans, Human Touch have, between those two records, a good album's worth of songs between them. But I had never seen uh, a performer perform so energetically and so enthusiastically, maybe outside of the flesh, flesh tones who I get to see. <laughs> but... Uh, but then I, I I got I got into it, but it was it was still a slow progression. It was uh, it, it was never like where has this guy been all my life? Because he'd kind of been on the periphery, yeah, all my life. Yeah, it kind so. of seemed it it kind of seemed like it's been in the last ten or fifteen years that you've really become a super fan. Yeah, for sure. And I remember that time that you and I and Cindy and Sarah went to see him at the Irwin Center and it was mm -hmm. kind of a low, kind of a low vulnerable point in my life. And he was touring for uh, that album that starts with Outlaw Pete, maybe Magic. And, you know, he played for three, three and a half hours and we walked out and I went, man, I <laughs> needed that. Yeah, yeah I, I remember needed that. that. Man. I mean, I'd go see him anytime, but yeah. you know, I'm not the fan that you guys are. Uh, but you know, I, I I heard a lot of that stuff in real time. I mean, the mm -hmm. first record of his I heard was Born to Run when it was new, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I could tell it was quote you know capital I important, and I liked it okay. I liked Darkness better, and then the River really hit me mm -hmm. um, uh, like it did Buff. But then you know, and Nebraska I appreciated. And born in the USA, I just did not like. Uh, Dude, I mean, I just, 80s, yeah, too late, it just, yeah, it just did. I just thought I, I, oh, wasn't, I was never a kind of, for that album either. Right? And he kind of lost me there, you know, and I've picked him up, picked up some stuff along the way. But that kind of I, I, I he kind of lost me there. Still great live, though, of course. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, the, the greatest thing, I mean, I got I finally got to see the East Street Band uh it was right before clarence died so i was so happy i got to see clarence but um only i've only saw him one time here in green uh, up the street in greenville and a friend of mine had these um these private box seats that like hung right over the side of the stage so we were like where they're coming around bringing you drinks and stuff and i'm like i didn't know what to do you know it's just like and, uh, and bruce stepped up to the microphone and he goes is everybody comfortable because we're going to be here a while? And I thought, well, that's bullshit. It's not going to be a while. <laughs> no, it was three and a half hours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, he ended up bringing the swinging medallions on stage oh, man. to do double shot with him. And I was like, oh, wow. It was, it was crazy. God, it was wonderful. But the uh, to me, other than seeing East Street Band, my, my greatest. Uh, Bruce Springsteen thing was that Springsteen on Broadway, just him and a guitar mm -hmm. telling stories mm -hmm. and playing the songs. I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just very, pretty freaking amazing. I guess. So you think we just completely lost Billy. Maybe, maybe it got time for him to do his 
talk with his uh, child. Yeah, with his Griffey talk, probably. But could be, could be. Uh, well, um, recommendations. Moving right on into recommendations. Let's go ahead and um, I don't know, uh, Jim. You want to do one? Sure, sure. I've got a recommendation, and a here's something else I saw. Um, my recommendation, and I hadn't gotten around to see this. I, I, you know, I'm often late on movies, but uh, I saw this and very much enjoyed it. And that's Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Oh uh, yeah! Oh, that was oh, good. Yeah. God, that was good. I saw I saw it week before last for the first time, and uh, it and it's funny as hell. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it is it is really funny, and it's 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 worth your time. And of course, the premise is that there's a a black detective who joins the clan. He kind of does with the help of a white guy, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, everyone is really really good in the movie. And I, you know, Spike Lee is terrific, and and I just completely was entertained by it and and thought it was hilarious as well. Um, so that's my recommendation. The thing I saw this week was the the. Uh, and it, this has been out for gosh, 10, 15 years. And it's the Patty Smith documentary, uh, dream of life. I'm not oh. recommending it because it's, it's weird. Kind of like Patty Smith is it's different. It's not like, a, like a straight through documentary. Uh, it doesn't really tell a story as much as have vignettes and have stuff, including a very charming sequence where she visits her parents at the, how she grew up in, in New Jersey. Um, it's really interesting if you if you're if you like Patty Smith, um, you know it's worth a watch. But it's not something that will tell you about her career or anything like that. But it, it's very uh, you know it's very impressionistic. Uh, but I, I was I enjoyed it and my wife enjoyed it very much. She's a fan. Uh, so uh, so you know I'm I, I'm stopping short of a recommendation because it's it's I think it's you know it, it, you have to be in the right mood for it uh, and it's not just a straight ahead doc, but it's I enjoyed it. So you might want to consider checking it out if you haven't seen it and you're interested in Patty Smith. So, so you don't, you're glad you saw it. You're not sure you need to see it again. I wouldn't see it again. No, I wouldn't watch it again because I've seen it and it's, it's more of an experience than anything else. And I, I hesitate to recommend it because I think you have to be in a certain mood and have a certain relationship with Patty Smith. I mean, just someone who doesn't know much about Patty Smith, I don't think would gain much from watching it. I mean, you see her sitting around playing guitar with Sam Shepard, and they never say, "This is Sam Shepard." Right? Yeah. I mean, you just yeah. have to kind of have the knowledge that that you know. And they she talks a lot about Fred. Who's Fred? Well, Fred Sonic Smith of MC5 right, she was right, married right, to, right? Right. Right. And, and she talks a lot about you know Robert. Oh, it's Robert Mapplethorpe. Right. 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 So right, right. so you know so it's it's that kind of thing. So I I enjoyed it, uh, but you know, um, check it out if you think it might be interesting to you. Uh, anyway. There, it's there funny. You you should, it's funny you should say that because when her first uh, memoir, first uh, Just Kids, came out, yeah, mm -hmm. Cindy knew, you know, very little about her, and she read it and she's like, "Oh my god, this is such a terrific book." It she really is, is. She is such a heartfelt writer, and at the end of that book, you just want to give her a hug. Um, well, my sure. recommend. What uh, right. what book were we talking about? Sorry, man, it was my Griffey fifteen minutes. Yeah, man, sure. well, we one of my 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 I saw it this week is the Patty Smith documentary Dream of Life. So we're talking about Patty Smith and and her book uh, Just Kids. I, I was gonna recommend the book, so I, I've just started reading it, and uh, yet not to cut you off, Pat. I just but uh, the uh, the thing is, man, you know, I'm not even that big of 
I'm not a huge fan of, of the music she's done, but man, what a damn good book. And what just, mm-hmm. isn't, isn't that the kind of person you just wish all your friends were? <laughs> I know, like I said, like I said, just before you hop back in, I mean, you finish that book and you just want to give her a hug. Right. You yeah, know? yeah, you do, man. And you're just like, oh, damn, I wish, I wish she could come over. <laughs> you know? Right. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Well, I guess I'll do mine. Uh, uh, my recommendation is musical, and I'm a little a little shocked that this band has never come up on this show before. Uh, I, well, maybe they have in passing, but I'm absolutely positive Jim has never mentioned this band. Uh, Sound of Vinyl has just come out with a reissue of the first album by a band called the New York Dolls. <laughs> Any of you guys ever heard of them? <clears throat> Yeah, you know, we, we haven't talked enough about them or Kiss. Oh, I, you know what? I forgot to mention when I recommended Shit's Creek a couple weeks ago that the, the, the main reason I recommended it is because Catherine O'Hara's character talks about hooking up with Johnny Thunders one night after spending the night at Max's Kansas City. So anyway, go ahead. Uh, I believe I, I still have the floor. Uh yeah, Sound of Vinyl was just out with a reissue of uh, the first New York Dolls album, which is just terrific. And it's another album that Jim introduced to me when I was young and impressionable in 1981, when I was a junior in high school, or maybe even before that. Uh, it's not remastered from the original analog tapes. It's not on 180 gram vinyl. You don't need any of that because it's pink. <laughs> So, oh yeah, and, and the pink offsets all that other stuff. It does it more does. than offsets. It's it's worth it. It's worth its weight in 180 gram vinyl. I think I have a picture of that. Somebody, it might have been you, Pat. I, it might it might have been it, it might have been me, and it might have been this week that it I. It might have uh, been, yeah. But it was so cool to to finally get reacquainted with that record. Uh, after all these years and after listening to it since I was at least a junior in high school, if not before. And I, you know, I got a, I got an email saying it's on its way. It's going to be here on Monday. I was looking, 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 and it didn't show up. It didn't show up. It didn't show up. It didn't show up. Sometimes some of the delivery people won't actually come through the gate because of the dogs. And uh, it didn't show up. It didn't show up. It didn't show up. It didn't show up. Then my wife, Cindy, came home and they'd stuck it between the gate and this column we have. It was like, here's your record. It was like, ah, damn it. And I took it over my rig and I turned it on and I was very, very happy. The and sound the, of and vinyl. The, and the, and the, the pinkness makes it sound better. It, it, sounds, it sounds really good when it's pink. It's just like, it's just like Kiss sounds better in makeup. Right. Yeah. No, got <laughs> it, man. Got no question it. about that. <laughs> So there you go. Did uh, I was out for a few minutes, as so y'all know, doing Griffey. Did I miss the high fidelity question? Yes. What was it? Um, something musical could be band, could be a song, could be a record that you didn't get or didn't appreciate at first, but you came to really like. Elvis Costello. Uh, yeah. Excellent choice. Yeah. 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 You know, he was touted as sort of this, kind of new wave guy and it really wasn't my cup of tea and it was kind of British and it was kind of New York city. And it was, I, I, you know, and it wasn't, uh, yeah, it wasn't anything that I really dug. I wasn't paying that close attention to songwriters at the time. And, and I'm not going to do three, just that would have been my top. And yeah. then the more I got to listen to his stuff and the more that I started 
you know, uh, especially after he did that, what was that country album, Almost Blue? Yeah. yeah. After he did that, man, and I was just like, wow, there's a lot more to this guy than just sort of, of you know, kind of UK, New York City, new wave kind of guy. And yeah. yeah. And after that, I was a fan. Okay. Sorry. Back there's, to a, there's a whole lot to Elvis, man. I mean, golly, he's done so many different kinds of music. He reminds me in a lot of ways of, of David Bowie, man. He's able yeah. to reinvent himself every few years like and every single incarnation works, man. Well, did you, uh, Billy, did you already, I was away. Did you do a recommendation or do you? I did. And I did, uh, I did, uh, uh, the damn movie. Yeah. Just kids. Just kids. Yeah. Oh great God. Time. What a great book. I hadn't finished it yet. I'm just, I'm about halfway through. It's just so good. Kyle, <laughs> that, that spoiler alert. Robert Maplethorpe dies. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, not only really that, ah, damn it, man. I don't, I don't want to really freak you out or anything, but he might have been bisexual too. <laughs> nah, not nah. really. Not really. Not he really. Was, he just liked he to photograph really cops. Bi- he was not really bisexual. <laughs> no, not at all. He's more just straight yeah, up gay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Maplethorpe, my, uh, my late wife, Jill, she, uh, was a huge Maplethorpe fan. And I, I bought her a book for Christmas. It was like a hundred bucks, a coffee table, but it was sealed in plastic, you know? Yeah. So kids couldn't look at it. Yeah. Well, I didn't even know what it was. And when I opened it up and I was all these pictures of dicks and I'm like, what? And she goes, you don't see how beautiful that is. And I'm like, no, (laughs) yeah, no. I'm not trying to be a he-man either. I'm just saying, no, I never did find, think that, you know, I think that women deserve all of the respect in the world for even having anything to do with us, the way that we look as guys, the ugly as hell. I mean, ain't nothing. I will, I will nothing say this: I, I was not a fan of the more graphic stuff, like you're talking about. But I've yep. seen some, he did some but flowers. I, but I've seen, I've seen some of his photos that I actually thought were, yeah. Oh, me I, too. I like him. He did a lot of flowers and things and plants. Well, even, even that stuff he was doing that was, you know, him and, and the males and all that stuff. Well, I still but got the not book the, not here. the graphic stuff, but as graphic, but. I got the book that I gave her. I just, uh, you know, I can't bear to look at it, but I, uh, homophobe and, and, and of <laughs> course the, 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 the shot he took of Patty for her first record horses is just, yeah. Oh God. And iconic, classic iconic. Every, everybody started, uh, dressing like her after that picture. I know I still do. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe we should maybe we should move on from Robert Maplethorpe. Right, maybe we should. <laughs> oh, come on. You can never have enough Maplethorpe. All right, well, let's see my recommendation. I need to I need to do a recommendation. I got a book here. I've got a book that I just I didn't read. know you could read. <laughs> this book, I'm going to ignore that. This book is uh from University of North Carolina Press, which is odd. I would have thought it would come from UGA Press, but no. This is by Grace Elizabeth Hale. Hale! It's called Cool Town, How Athens, Georgia, 
launched alternative music and changed American culture. And I have it right here in my hot little hands. Hmm. Heavy on the formation of the B-52s and a lot about R.E.M. And, uh, you know, just so, oh, well, this is hey, a real what, page. What were, some, what were some other bands that came out of that scene? I, I, uh, I know Pop, R.E.M. Pylon, and I, I know the B-52s. Pylon, Vic Chestnut. Why, uh, later was Widespread Panic, but we had um, Love Tractor. Love had, Tractor. Um, there was a band. I was, I was on the road back in the would have been back in the late eighties and I was in Cleveland, Ohio. And, and we were the band I was in. We were, used to be a section that was kind of like Sixth street or South Congress in Austin. Now it's called the flats and it had a bunch of clubs and we were playing, we were playing a club there. And we, uh, when our show ended, there was a, the place next door had, they, they had a band that we came out of that Athens thing that, I had never heard of called Dream So Real. Y'all know yeah. anybody here know them guys? Oh, yeah. 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 Any, any can you I mean I, I got to see them. I got to see about 15 minutes of their of their uh their show, man. They 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 let us in as a courtesy because we were playing next door and uh but the place was packed and uh they, they were kind of sponsored or produced by the, the REM guys, right? Yeah, I think Peter yeah. Buck produced Bill Barry, them probably. Bill Barry had a hand in Love Tractor too. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, Dream So Real. They were in um, that Athens movie, right? Athens, Georgia, Inside. It, it, Out. That's right. it. That's it. Thank you. I was just looking at some of that on YouTube because I'm trying to find that. I used to have the VHS. Somebody's got parts of it on YouTube. They don't have the whole thing. I don't think you can find the whole thing, but that was really a good movie. A lot. I, I like the part where they go to Howard Finster's uh, garden mm -hmm. and look at all his artwork and stuff like that. Uh, there was another interesting band that I liked that came out of Athens called Oh Okay. Yes, Michael Stipe's sister. <laughs> Michael Stipe's sisters band, and they used to, we used to see them at Forty Watt. Were they, were they good? I I don't yeah. know that much about the Athens bands except the ones you know that that sort of broke nationally and then started kind of influencing everything everywhere. Well, I mean, I I love the you know, like I said earlier, I got the liking the B52s after I saw them live, and I always liked REM and 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 uh, Pylon, and all you know. Of course, I don't, I'm not sure Pylon was from Athens; he might have been from Atlanta. I sometimes get that all mixed up because I mean, I was going living in, a, I was in Atlanta and going between Atlanta and Athens so much. It's just ridiculous. Uh, for the longest time, I thought 10,000 maniacs were, uh, um, she's from Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah. I thought they were an <laughs> Athens band, but no. And, and left on her own. She plays a lot of folk stuff. Uh, uh, damn. What's a banjo player that, uh, Richie, Richie Stearns, he, mm -hmm. he does a lot of stuff with her. Natalie, um, yeah, yeah, I, was, I, was in a, I was in a class in Greenville called the Artist Way with her mother, Ann, and she became Ann Merchant and I and my wife became really good friends. She actually came to our wedding and everything, but she had four children, but Natalie's the one that, you know, uh, became rich. <laughs> but Natalie, uh, uh, Ann was from originally from New York, 
Yep. And she was, yeah. living, she was living in Greenville and, uh, man, she passed away a few years ago too, but she was a great friend. She introduced me to, uh, Natalie and, um, I was going to do an interview with Natalie, but Natalie didn't, just wasn't interested in doing an interview. She said, I, I like talking to you. She said, but I just don't like talking about myself that much. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Hmm. All right. Well, I understand. Uh, she said, we can talk about Stipe. I like to talk about Michael because <laughs> she was crazy about him. Uh, the, uh, Fit, to finish my recommendation, got way off track, but really, we got off track here. Uh, no, you got off track. The uh, the late, the late, uh, uh what, what was I even talking about? The Athens book, yeah, from the, from the late 70s onward, it became you know a real scene, and it was kind of like a music and art occupied the same space it's really interesting that there was really no division between visual art and music at all uh and it was very much inclusive of race sexual preferences didn't matter there was a guy there it was a big fixture on the scene named jerry ayers as a major part of the musical history he transformed himself into the androgynous sylvia thin and became a, a friend and follower of Andy Warhol. And, uh, and then, then the doors really swung open. And Athens became a place where, in, you know, it's weird in the South to have any place in the South where everybody was free to be whatever they want to be, dress in the way they wanted to, identify in the way they wanted to. And there were so many great bands and memories and stuff uh, that I recall having lived through that initial surge of 79 through 84. Uh, talks in the book about like the Georgia Theater, the 40 Watt Club. Uh, and for anybody who doesn't know the 40 Watt Club, how they got their name was because it, the stage was lit by one 40 Watt light bulb hanging from a string. <laughs> and <laughs> And then, uh, of course, and then I go over to Atlanta to clubs like 688, where I didn't realize that REM had played there so many times. I would have been more nervous whenever I played. I, I played there once, but I would have been a lot more nervous had I, had I known that REM had played there a bunch and the Agora Ballroom and more and more and more and more and more. Uh, just a great book full of great information from Grace. Elizabeth Hale. I'm not sure if if it's out yet. If it's not, it will be in a matter of you know a week or two, something like that. But anyway, Cool Town by Grace Elizabeth Hale. And that wraps up the recommendations. And don't you think it ought to? The uh coming up next, uh we got uh we're gonna be talking about keyboard players. Uh, but going into that, I'm going to play one here from a, um, a recent reissue. This is a title track from a recent reissue by uh, an artist that I just love by the name of Little Richard Penniman. 
And uh, the album was from the 70s. It was called Southern Child. He's from and Macon, right? Macon, Georgia. Yep. And uh, this is his um, Southern Child was recently brought back by Blackberry Smoke, who did an album live from Capricorn Studio, six song EP. They covered Marshall Tucker and Almonds and all, but they covered Southern Child by Little Richard, which is very cool, I think. Great song. Little Richard was Southern Child, and we'll be right back right after this song. And here we go. Whoa, whoa. they say was the one and only little Richard Penniman you know he did a lot of talking about being the originator of rock and roll and all like that you know he damn well might have been uh, he, he was just the I don't know one of the 
most enduring artists in my entire life. And uh, I saw the strangest thing. This is just as an aside thing. I saw the strangest thing. Um, I forget where I got it. I think I downloaded it off the computer or something, but it was one of these Christian shows like 700 club or something. And they had little Richard Penniman on there. This was like just a few months before he died. And I never saw him like this. He was heavy, you know, it was balding and had just a little white hair uh, around the sides. Damn, he was like 80. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, even, you know, even in his older age, they made him up and did all the makeup. But when he quit doing all that and went back to being a preacher, he had on the most beautiful purple paisley suit I'd ever seen in my life. I would kill it. Let me just say, everybody on this panel is a close friend of mine, and I would kill every one of y'all for a purple paisley suit. <laughs> if, I, if, I could, if I could get a tailored purple paisley suit, I would be willing to kill all of y'all. Yeah, well, yeah, that's good. <laughs> At least, you, at least we know where you stand. Well, and I like to think that y'all would do the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would, yeah. Uh, that would have to get a, a bigger one for me, but that's okay. Uh, Pitt, Richard had put on some weight, uh, but he said there. man, meatloaf. <laughs> yeah, I sat there, I was watching them. Inter they were going to interview him, and they asked him, like, one question. And he took off talking, and he just talked for the next hour. And uh, it was like hearing uh, a great old preacher, Southern preacher, but with but with that same little Richard humor interjected in it, you know, I was just enthralled by the whole thing. I mean, it was just amazing. I thought it. I thought any time he ever gave an interview, he sounded like a Pentecostal preacher, man. Yeah, and, he always did. He and, always and I I really liked hearing that. Uh, you know. Back in the eighties and nineties, when I'd like be watching, there'd be something like on late at night on TV, and I'd be watching an interview with him, and I and I would be drunk and stoned, and yeah, uh, and hearing the Pentecostal preacher rap, but he's talking about like touring with the Beatles and stuff like that, and he's <laughs> his patter is all that it, it's that Pentecostal preacher, and there we was, we was on the road, and I was this, <laughs> and they was this, and here was that, now and it. Yeah, but he's but he's you know he's talking about the early days of rock music with the Stones and the Beatles and you know and I was drunk and high. So well, yeah, that's the way to be. And the thing about it, what was fun was that he would uh, he would always manage to um, the king of shameless self promotion. He I was mean, great he'd, at that. He'd be talking about anything and work in the fact that little Richard was the reason there is rock and roll right no he he would yeah <laughs> but you know and at the time i remember thinking damn boy he's really he's really flogging that but uh man tell me who doesn't do that and this is funny we were talking about oh i gotta watch out i get on our topic again we were talking about piano players at the happy hour yesterday and jerry lee lewis came up tell me who tell, yeah. man he he was even, he's even more blatant than little Richard was, but he talks about himself during his songs in the third person. <laughs> like Hank Williams Jr. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I don't 
care for that myself. <laughs> well, let's talk about our keyboard players. Let's see. Anybody wants to go first, raise your I hand. Think, I think we ought to make Pat go first today. We usually. I think so. Go. He never goes first. Pat, go ahead. All right. All right. I'll do it. I'm, I'm setting aside Ray Charles once again because I'm waiting for us to do a whole show on Ray Charles. So Ray Charles is off the table. Tremendous organ player. I mean, that that part, that that lead-in part to what did I say is just absolutely phenomenal. But you're setting aside Ray Charles. I am setting aside Ray well, Charles because racist. I we need we need a whole show. We need a whole show on Ray Charles. So speaking of Jerry Lee and Little Richard, those were the first two that I immediately thought of because they played the piano like a percussion instrument or at yeah. least a percussive instrument. L you know? Like it was a guitar. They beat yeah. on it like exactly. it was a guitar. Exactly. And maybe, maybe I saw, I saw Richard and Chuck Berry uh, share a bill at Caesar's palace in Las Vegas. And Richard just killed Chuck in an unsurprising development. Chuck <laughs> phoned it in and it was so sad to see him follow little Richard because little Richard was having a great time. He was there to entertain the house and he was entertaining himself and he was making jokes and he was little Richard and, and he's Chuck a Pentecostal Ber preacher, man. Right. And that is entertaining. <laughs> and Chuck Berry, Chuck Berry got paid and was like, okay, I'll go out there and do this for an hour. And it was so limp. It was such a wet dish rag of a show, but those two were very, very similar and also very different in the way they approached the instruments, but man, they banged on them hard. My next two, in an unsurprising development, again, I'm going to have more than five. My next two are masters of the B3. Of course, you can guess the first one would be Booker T. Jones from the amazing, amazing Stax house band. There's nothing that I need to say about Booker T. I'm glad he's still alive. I'm glad he's still playing. I'm glad the drive-by truckers were the backing band on the most recent solo album he made. And the other one is lesser known an Austin local named Mike Flanagan. He plays with Sue Foley. He plays with uh, Jimmy Vaughn. He plays with Billy Gibbons. He plays with ZZ Top. He makes his own records. He's a tremendous B3 player and a key component, especially to the Jimmy Vaughn uh, band's sound. Tremendous player. He started, he started getting serious about playing the Hammond B3, and he kept his organ at the... Uh, the Continental Club, and that's where he would have it, and that's where he would go practice. And so you can find him there quite a lot. But uh, down the street and on the other side of the street at the Continental Club Sister Club is a place called Sea Boys, and you'll see him there. And there used to be trophies. It's the place yes. I played my that room right. is the first place right. I played my right. first gig with Billy. Right, it's right. Trophies, man. <laughs> uh, next up is somebody who doesn't get his due as an actual musician as opposed to a frontman james freaking brown was a great keyboard player i thought you were going to say isaac Hayes, but yeah, yeah go ahead he was he was absolutely tremendous and of course you think of james brown as a frontman uh, and as a taskmaster and as a woman beater but he was also <laughs> a, but he was also All a true. great 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 keyboard player there's there's an album or two of just his instrumentals and it's it's terrific stuff it's and just I'm terrific embarrassed to admit this i did not know he played keyboard. i didn't either he, yeah 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 
He I, really I did. only knew I only knew him as a as a front guy. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. I figured he played some kind of instrument, but I, I, you know, I wouldn't have thought to a level of uh, virtuosity. You know. Yeah. No, he really was. And uh, all right, I'm going to cut to the chase. I'm going to do my number one, Johnny Johnson. The world would never have yeah. heard of Chuck Berry without Johnny Johnson. Good, good call. Yeah, this, good. Uh, this is this is a story just like you're fucking my list all up. When 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 Paul Westerberg was walking by someplace and he heard some band practicing in the basement and it was Bob Stinson's band and he said, "Hey, can I join your band?" And then he said, "Hey, can I take over your band?" <laughs> Johnny Johnson uh, was was born back east somewhere, maybe in Virginia, um, and wound up in St. Louis. And he was uh, he had a he had a three piece jazz and blues band, and he had a saxophone player who had a stroke and couldn't play anymore. And they had a New Year's Eve gig coming up. So the only other musician, the only other musician Johnny Johnson knew in St. Louis was Chuck Berry, who could at the time could barely play guitar. And he said, hey, we need uh, somebody to fill in for this New Year's gig. So Chuck said, okay. He eventually became part of uh, the band. And shortly after that, Chuck took two songs that Johnson had been using, including a Bob Wills song and an instrumental that he added uh, lyrics to and sent it off to Chess Records, to, to Leonard Chess in Chicago. That instrumental became Maybelline. And... Johnny said, hey, you know what? I'm going to let Chuck front the band because Chuck has a car. <laughs> and that's how that all started. And so Johnny Johnson was a sideman in his own band. And he never got his due. He occasionally backed Chuck Berry over the decades, but he never got his due even remotely until at least uh, Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, the film. Yeah. Yeah, And in, in that, among other things, you see how instrumental he was to the sound. And then as Keith Richards says, you'll learn these songs. You'll learn these alleged Chuck Berry songs. They're not in guitars, keys. They're not in G, right. D, no, A. No, they're in B and B flat. They're, in, like B, they're in B and B flat and <laughs> yeah. C. It's like, hey, somebody else came up with them and somebody stole them. And that somebody was Chuck Berry. Now, in 2000, Johnny Johnson, who was back to driving a bus and a cab by that time, sued Chuck Berry for royalties over dozens of songs. And the statute had passed, and so the suit was dismissed. But uh, I, I, I go back to my original point. Without Johnny Johnson, the world would never have heard of Chuck Berry, and we would be missing a lot of iconic absolutely transcendent rock and roll songs you were talking about who started rock and roll maybe it was a little richard i think there's a very very strong case to be made that the idea of rock and roll was hatched by chuck berry and it was stolen merchandise <laughs> I, I was listening to the and i the, first of all great choices every single yeah. one of those is a Thank great you. choice Thank you. and uh speaking of the king of rock and roll i was listening to the underground garage on Sirius XM, which I want to do. And I can't remember who the DJ was. And he says, first up, here's a track from the King of rock and roll. Johnny Johnson. It was a Chuck Berry song. Uh, it was not, yeah. it was not an Elvis <laughs> song. It was a Chuck Berry song. So. Uh, that's it. I'm all in. 
Oh, but, cool, but cool. Well, I'll we tell got, you what. We, I'm, we, uh, got, we got to do a Ray Charles show. We got to do an all. We'll do a Ray Charles. All Ray. Uh, Ray Charles would be a great topic. I mean, we could talk forever about him. He's the greatest. Uh, I want to go ahead and jump out because uh, uh, I have uh, things that, you know, I may have to leave. I mean, not leave, but step away, so to speak. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to go down mine. Uh, and I'm going to start with my number five is a man named uh, Mac Ribbonak, Dr. John, the king of second line New Orleans piano. My respect for Dr. John tripled after hearing great piano players like Chuck Lavelle and Paul Hornsby rave about Dr. John being the absolute best piano player that ever heard. Everybody knows him from the hit right place, wrong time. Yeah. Well, that's, and also the song such a night, which is good. Uh, I prefer the song walk on gilded splinters, a classic. Uh, Chuck Lavelle, uh, told me that Dr. John just made it look so darn easy. He'd be sitting on a stool, just tearing up on the piano, but he would have his face turned towards you and be in the middle of an intense conversation without missing a lick on whatever he was playing on the piano while he's talking to you. He said he'd never seen anybody that could do that. So that's my guy, Dr. John. Uh, I was very fortunate to do an interview with him back in 92. I was very unfortunate that I conducted it on magnetic tape in a uh, room that had incandescent lighting, which raising parts of it. It came, it may, it came through the tape. So all you heard was, and you could hear Dr. John talking, which is not that clear to start with. He's like, well, Mike, I was on a thousand, you know, and then you go, Professor Longhair. And I'm like, oh, he said something about Professor Longhair. <laughs> I got that part. But that was a, that was, a, I just had to, after I went to play the tape back and it wasn't there, I kind of just wrote from memory what he had said. But I just, I hated that. I hated that. Uh, another lesson learned in the magic of recording interviews on cassette tapes. So glad we do it digitally now and I have a backup. My next one is the late, great Keith Emerson from Emerson Lake and Palmer. I'm not a huge prog rock fan. But when they put out the three album set called Works, where each Keith, Carl, and Greg each did an album built around their instrument, I was sold. Uh, Keith Emerson had a piano concerto on there that was so beautiful. I remember I would play the LP at night, you know, 17, 18 years old, maybe 16, I don't know. I would play the album to go to sleep at night. It was the most beautiful piano playing I'd ever heard. But at the same time, he was a master of the uh, Hammond organ and a true pioneer of the synthesizer, both the Moog and the ARP synthesizers. And I put here to describe, describe it three words, 
Brain Salad Surgery. Brain Salad Surgery, that album uh, just rocked my world. And I mean, and the key, I mean, you know, yeah, uh, he's a great, I thought of him mostly as a synthesizer player and organist. And then when the works thing came out and I heard what he could do on piano, I was like, okay, Keith Emerson's great. My next one is a real hero, a real hero. Oh man, Billy Preston. Oh, Billy what Pre a good, what a good choice. Billy man. Preston. Not only did Billy play with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, my earliest memories of Billy were the very first, first, the very first, the very first Dick Clark rocking New Year's New Year's Eve special. New Year's of nineteen seventy three. I was sixteen and watching with my daddy, and we were just laughing about Billy's afro. It was the biggest damn afro I'd ever seen in my life. It needed hand and needs sidebars to hold it up. I and think Lester, Lester, Lester Bangs described it as a mushroom cloud afro. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. And it was, you know, he moved around a lot when he played, and his afro was just going all over the place. And my dad was like, that is a serious afro. And I'm like, yes, it is. So my dad, being a grocery store produce manager and part time Baptist minister, was blown away when he heard Billy do a song called that's the way God planned it. And of course I loved it too. I mean, it was you know, Buff, your, your, your father was a complicated dude. So he's part-time Baptist minister. And I, I know from, from knowing you for a long time, you know, pretty socially conservative guy, but he liked Billy Preston and he liked Jane County. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, you know, so so he was a complex man. Well, make sure just make sure that when you're telling that history that you get it right. He liked Wayne County before he liked Jane County. Right, but it but it didn't put him off when when <laughs> the when the transition didn't no, no, didn't matter at all. Did not matter. Also, I remember he thought that I remember my dad saying, "No kidding." He was looking at Roxine magazine. He points to a picture of the New York dolls and he goes, that Sylvain guy is kind of cute. I'm well, like, I, th I think that's the first time the New York dolls have come up on this show. Probably. Yeah. We, we, we rarely talk. About we never talk York. about the dolls or, or the replacements or, or kiss or Bruce Springsteen or uh, <laughs> wait a minute. Or no, I was trying to think of Billy's favorites, but I can't right now. Yeah, my favorite's Gary only, Stewart. Yeah, only us on this panel have ever heard of my favorite. <laughs> the uh, anyway, back to Preston. Uh, I like I said, I love the song. Uh, that's the way God planned it, and all. I was buying all of his al albums on eight track, but uh, <laughs> the. Uh, he made me. You know, everybody's heard of the Moog synthesizer. But screw that. I wanted the ARP synthesizer. It's it's Moog. Yeah, I don't it's, give it's a fuck. It's not Moog, it's Moog. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Okay, uh, how do you pronounce ARP? I don't know about that. I, I know Mo 
I, I know Mo because of John White, my my very good friend John White. Yeah, okay. who, who who was there? I, I don't even know what that job was. Well, I've said Moog. I've said Moog my whole life, so I it's guess Mo, I, it's Moog. I guess I can change it now, but I really don't care that and, much. And and I was doing that too. And and John told me he said, "Remember, this was when the voguing, the dance was popular." And he said, "Just." It's like Vogue, but with an M. Oh, well, and why isn't Vogue spelled V-O-O-G? I don't know, man. You, you know, <laughs> I, Rupert, you're going to have to take the spelling of the name up with Rupert's family. Moving <laughs> <laughs> uh, right along. Yeah, okay. All right. Now that we've uh, got that straight, that was a very important <laughs> part of my story, by the way. The uh, Sorry pronunciation of moga sorry man I, i'm the pronunciation police yeah no. <laughs> the pronunciation please they come to me in my head <laughs> well that would be hard to work into a song what, a, what, what band is that we i don't know we never talk about them <laughs> no, either no i've never, never heard of that band <laughs> i don't know i think if we talked about them too much it would be just some sort of a cheap trick anyway Oh, um, oh, oh, all right, go ahead. Anyway, the, the uh, so I was going to say that with, uh, if I ever wade through the Billy Preston part, he did about two back-to-back -back instrumentals in, in 73 that uh, really utilized the ARP synthesizer uh, called Out of Space and Space Race. That and I wanted an ARP synthesizer so badly. I, well, I couldn't play keyboard. I couldn't play anything, guitar, nothing. And some would say I still can't. But I wanted an ARP synthesizer, and I would cut the ads out of Circus Magazine, and I had them hanging on my wall and would fantasize about having an ARP synthesizer. It wasn't just Billy. That same year, Egg Winter, you know, utilized one on Frankenstein. He, he did, man. Yep. And that same year, Keith Emerson uh, beat the crap out of his synthesizer on stage. Was that, were you, that was like 71? 73. Oh, 73. Okay. And then that same year, Rick Wakeman started doing those solo albums like the uh, – the wives of Henry the eighth or whatever. And, uh, all those things that were heavy on ARP synthesizers. And yeah, so Preston scored several major solo hits. Everybody knows, will it go around in circles, blah, 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 blah. But to me, Billy Preston is all keyboards, piano, organ synthesizer. And my friend, Bonnie Bramlett did a song called some of my best friends are gay and one verse is some of my best friends are black and uh okay and, dude <laughs> and, so she she said that she was really great friends with billy and she said uh that was the only friend that she had that covered all of those bases you know he was uh grew up poor and he was black and gay and I said, Billy Preston was gay. And she said, yeah. And I said, oh, cool. So anyway, I had no idea. I didn't know. I don't care. Uh, speaking of uh, African-Americans that rule the world in my book, and there's so many, 
Little Richard is next. Like everyone, I knew Richard from, I knew his hits of the 50s through the 90s, all those hits. But I didn't really discover just how great he was until I got an assignment from a magazine to do an article about a Greenville, South Carolina artist named Escarita. Real name was Eskew Reader. I also wrote about him in my Carolina Dreams book that Billy's read. Eskew met Little Richard at the bus station in Macon, Georgia, and we won't talk about what may or may not have happened between these two gentlemen. But uh, Little Richard talked about how it just blew him away when he got off of the bus because Eskew was playing piano behind Sister Rosa, a gospel singer. He got out, she's a tiny little thing. He got off the bus and he was six foot four and then a seven inch pompadour on top. Uh, so basically all the fashion stuff that little Richard did, he got from Escarita. So he said, little Richard said in his biography and several other places and in interviews, he said, we traded. He said, he wanted me to teach him some piano licks and I got my, uh, my style, style. Yeah. from him because uh, Escarita was wearing the makeup and women's sunglasses and women's clothes. I Man, mean, and there would not have been heavy metal without all that. I know. That's, 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 <laughs> I, I mean, it would, that music genre would not have existed without that. <laughs> so I, yeah and uh after that story i started digging into uh richard's uh more recent work like his 70s albums uh southern child being one of the best which we just played the title cut of earlier but i started digging into it and, and just found out just what a wonderful piano player he is well my number one goes without saying it's uh a young man named Charles Afro Charles Alfred Lavelle, Chuck Lavelle, best known for his piano, amazing piano work with the Allman Brothers Band, especially on the uh, mega hit instrumental Jessica, as well as his many, many years as touring band director for the Rolling Stones. Yep. And, uh, and Chuck's the one that gets to make out the set list. And he goes, Michael, they bring in like, six gigantic volumes of lists of songs that they've been playing since 1965. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, he, but Mick says, see if you can find something. We haven't done in a while, Chuck. Want to do something different tonight. So, you know, but here's uh, Chuck's resume can fill a book. Um, just a few of the people he's recorded or toured with include George Harrison, Eric Clapton, Dave Gilmore, Chuck Berry, Government Mule, Warren Haynes, Widespread Panic, Randall Bramlett, Black Crows, Bonnie Bramlett, Cowboy, Greg Allman, Charlie Daniels Band, Marshall Tucker Band, Colonel Bruce Hampton in the Aquarium, Rescue Unit, Mick Jagger, Linda Ronstadt, Sea Level, Billy Joe Shaver, Bobby Whitlock, Kitty Wales. Bobby Whitlock. Yeah, not yeah. One album on Capitol wow. called "Rock Your Socks Off." Well, what a great album that is, by the way. Uh, and Kitty Wills, not to mention dozens of movie soundtracks and solo records, to name a few. And I know I'm not supposed to do this, but here's my laundry list of people that should have made the cut but didn't. Billy Powell from Leonard Skinner, who was a much better piano player than you ever heard on any of the records. 
because he was a classically trained piano player. Elton John is also very extremely. I left all uh, the guys like Elton John and, and Ray Charles. I left the gold standard big time, huge guys who piano was their main instrument. I, I didn't add any of them. Well, that's fine. Edgar Winter, uh, um, Fats Domino, uh, uh, Ray Manzarek, Stevie Wonder. Floyd Domino. Yeah. Garth, <laughs> Garth Hudson, of course. Uh, Stevie Winwood, Greg Allman, uh, John Lord from Deep Purple, Richard Wright. Yeah, Richard Wright, the Floyd, Rick Wakeman, Al Cooper, and Billy Joel. Yes, Billy Joel can really play a piano because he, he yeah, is he the can. piano man. Man, no, he, he yeah. So that's uh that's my list and all my honorable mentions. And I think it only took me 45 minutes to get that not, out. So. Not bad, man. I think that's a new personal speed record for you. Well, it is. It really is. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm I, trying to I, I love it. the way. I love the way the Kudzu Radio Hour now goes about two hours and 45 minutes. The Kudzu Radio. It's gonna like we're gonna have to change name up to the Kudzu. Kudzu Radio Show. No, Kudzu Radio Day. <laughs> radio yes. day because actually every even the regular episodes from the time i start working on it in the morning and the time we record and the time it takes me to get it done goes from nine in the morning until six in the after evening i want to go next because i want to see if i can fuck up jim's list it's already yeah. it's already toast so go ahead yeah, okay. go ahead yeah okay I, and i'm gonna start my my first one and uh I think Beach is going to appreciate this because he he picked the keyboard player. He picked the pianist from uh, from Chuck Berry and said, you know, with, without this guy, Chuck, there wouldn't have been Chuck Berry. All right. Ian Stewart, because without Ian Stewart, there would yep. have not been the Rolling Stones. Here, here. True. Here, I mean, here. He, he was the he was the pack mule in that band when it mattered. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ian Stewart is my first one, and you know, uh, I I don't know if everybody in our listening audience knows who he is. Uh, he ended up being what tour manager, stage manager, mm -hmm. something yeah, for the Stones. Yeah, yeah. They and he still played uh, piano with them guys, but to one side of the stage, he was one of the original members and responsible for all the piano parts. And I think the groove and tempo and all that for the for those early Stones hits, and they got rid of him because what they said he looked too normal. He, yeah. I mean, you know, he was yeah. Uh, but he he worked with them until he passed away. What back in the eighties, nineties, sometime. Um, but without Ian Stewart, there wouldn't have been a, a Rolling Stones. I don't think. Uh, just. And the way uh, who who was a piano player you were talking about, Pat? That did that same thing for for Chuck Berry. It was Johnny, Johnny Johnson. Johnson? Johnny Johnson. Yeah, I mean, kind of music director. And actually, uh, in the case of the Stones, really, man, sort of the only trained musician in the group. You know, that kind of herded it along and, and, and kept it going in a direction. So that uh, 
That's my first pick, and these are not in any uh, particular order. Uh, my my next pick, and I can't. I, Pat, you may know know this guy. I'd probably not. I'm pretty sure Jim does. A guy named Merrill Moore. No, I don't. He's from Iowa. Oh wow! And made it big. Uh, as sort of a session guy in California in the 40s and the 50s, had the original version of uh, a, uh, the ABs to the Bar uh, House of Blue Lights. Oh, wow. Was, and, and he was known as the Honky Tonk Piano Man. He was, he was a guy that w- he was a guy that was an influence to guys like Ray Benson and George Frayn and, and, and all the sort of current swing guys, man. It's Western swing, honky tonk, barrel house piano player. Uh, he, uh, I don't remember what label he was on, Capitol, I think, but, and, you know, he made some records and, and was a band leader and had some successes, but he, it, mostly what he did was influenced other guys that came along and did that later. Uh, like I said, you know, guys like uh, George Frayne, who, to everybody in the audience, Commander Cody. And I, I had Cody on the list, and then I replaced him with Merrill Moore. So, uh, yeah, you know, go back to the story. So that's my second one, my third one. And uh, me and Jim have got to work with this guy, man, Earl Pool Ball. And, you know, it, it, uh, Three of us being from Austin, two of y'all still living there. I mean, you know what? He's got on good hey Bill and uh what's uh, he's got that Americana group that I'm blanking on the name of, but uh cosmic music or whatever. Uh it's a it's a it's a group that's his band. He he plays piano and he's got front people and uh I, I saw I've seen him a couple of times at the Saxon pub, but uh Cosmic Americans or something like that? Yeah, something like that. And it's sort of based on that Graham Parsons, I play Cosmic American music. But, um, you know, man, he, he played on Sweetheart of the Rodeo. He played with Johnny Cash for 10 years. He and I was just – guy's kind of a transitional pianist. And uh, and he played on a record of ours that, that me and Jim uh, – uh, with me and Jim and uh, – and just, I don't know, man, as, as far as, as far as like a country rock transition guy, he, he is one. And, uh, yeah, so, he played on some of that early Nesmith solo stuff with the first yeah, national band yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah, he did a lot with, he did a lot with the, uh, he did a lot with that Southern California sound, mm-hmm. which, you know, which was one when we had a chance to, to get him on one of our records, I was just like, yeah, man, let's do that. <laughs> so yeah, what uh, well, well, we could get this guy. Yep, but we could get Earl Poole Ball. Let's just get him. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so that's my second guy. Uh, uh, third guy. Sorry, uh, my my fourth guy is is my fourth pick is not a pianist, man. It's Flaco Jimenez. Uh, and it, you know, as y'all know, I really like that Tex Mix stuff, and it, I. For this, I had a choice between him and Augie Myers, and I really like Augie's play. But uh, I don't know. Flacco does that same kind of thing, and he does it sort of on a broader 
Reach and I really like that stuff he did with the uh, uh, damn the Miami Country Band, Raul Malu's band, uh, Mavericks, Mavericks, yeah. The just man that 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 melding of sort of traditional country and 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 Tex Mex with a little salsa thrown in and even some uh, even like some Cuban kind of stuff, man. It, it's it's just, I, I love it stuff, man. I mean, it, and could listen to that or play or even play it just from now to the end. But we, there weren't any accordion players, squeeze box guys on the, uh, you know, sort of on my list. So I added Flacco. And my last one, and she's more of a songwriter and a singer, but it gets lost. What a, uh, what a great piano player she is, Carol King. And I've recently been listening to Tapestry. And what I like about that album, it does not sound like an album so much, you know, as like a planned record. It just sounds like some really good musicians that really like what they're doing in a room together, playing some songs that they really like. And, the piano parts on that man, she's real dynamic, and and it's, you know, it builds and and and, and does the thing that I really like with music. It builds tension and then releases that tension, and so uh, that's my list: uh, Ian Stewart, Meryl Moore, Earl Poolball, Flacco Jimenez, Carol King. They're they're my top five. Great list. Great list. Nice, and, uh, very nice. Different very list, nice. but yeah. Yeah. All right, Jim. You're you're up, Jim. I All thought right. you might have Ian Stewart on your Well, you know, I I think many, many months ago we did a high fidelity question about keyboardists and who came to mind first, and Ian Stewart was on my list on there. And and you know, he was a he was I mean, I love Boogie Woogie Piano and I've got and, and on my list, you know, uh bringing Boogie Woogie into rock and roll, I had I had Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis who both uh, were playing in the same vein as what Ian Stewart did. I mean, Ian Stewart loved Boogie Woogie Piano so much he wouldn't play minor chords, right? That was right. the thing. That <laughs> right. he'd, take his, he'd, take his, he'd take his hands off the keyboard if, if a minor chord came up, and and the Stones eventually brought in Nicky Hopkins to play right, songs right, right, that right. had minor chords. Right. Right? Uh uh, so, but anyway, you know, my, and so, uh, yeah, I love Ian Stewart and I, I did have little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis as the kind of the, as one spot on my list as bringing the boogie woogie into the, into the rock and roll. Uh, uh, but, but Ian Stewart certainly, uh, could be on that list as well. And, and in a similar vein, I had, and, and kind of an adjunct to buff having Dr. John, I had Fats Domino and Professor Longhair. Another actually, really good choice. Actually, I have Fats Domino, who, who got a lot of stuff from and from at the, the same professor. time as professor right. who got a lot of stuff from jelly roll morton right, right. if you want to go all the way back <laughs> right. to that new orleans piano stuff right uh, but fats domino had the hits right so i, I kind of had him on my list those guys invented barrel house <laughs> yeah it, well and that whole that whole new orleans piano thing i mean you know professor long here to me i just love listening to his stuff you know oh, just phenomenal just so phenomenal and, and certainly uh mac AKA Dr. John was a, was a disciple of, of that style as well. Um, 
you know, departing from my list a little bit to comment on some other things, you know, another, so, and when Billy brought up Carol King, the, the first thing I thought of was if someone who you know of as, as a, as a vocal talent or something, but who also was a great piano player, Aretha Franklin was a terrific. Yeah. I did yeah. not piano know that. Yeah. She yeah. was a great piano player. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Not on, not on my list, but could be, I mean, my list oh, was done. Yeah, my right. list was done hastily because at about, I don't know, 11 o'clock this morning, I texted y'all and said, what's our topic today again? Right. So I didn't have much chance to think about this. And I, I went more in a rock direction. Um, so uh, the next one on my list is Rod Argent. Hmm. Rod Argent was the zombies keyboard player. Ah, oh, damn. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. But Listen to She's Not There or Time of the Season, both which have amazing electric piano solos absolutely man he is he is a virtuoso and then he let when he left the zombies and or they broke up i don't i'm not sure which he started his own band called argent which of course had a huge hit called hold your head up uh but uh but he is a phenomenal keyboard player uh got to show off he played in some some of the iterations of ringo stars all-star band and just wowed people when he would take a, a piano solo just a terrific terrific player and one who's probably not appreciated by many people outside of the keyboard world but i, I wanted to get rod argent on the list next one is uh in the in the style of the of the old 70s rock b3 and piano players i've got to have ian mclagan on my list I, i'm uh, kind of surprised he hadn't already turned up uh, yep, truth, man. Yep, uh, you know uh, yep. and i and but again i was also surprised that isaac hayes wasn't on anybody's list man. the uh, you know mac was in in the small faces and then the faces and then uh you know did a lot of rod stewart stuff and, and toured with the stones and ended up living outside austin uh and, and never got to play with with him uh he's been on all of the footnotes records but those were all recorded before i joined the band i did get to meet him once we uh, had looked into getting him and we went with bruce uh yeah uh damn i'm blanking on his last name and, and then ian passed really soon after yeah that, man. yeah but i got to meet him once and he hears stories about what a wonderful guy ronnie lane was and what an asshole rod stewart was from uh from mac so that was an, that was an interesting conversation uh but you know he just he just is good time rock and roll and and was a was a prince of a guy and uh, so i had to get him on my list he was uh, like one part yeah like that party rock stuff who who listed booker t was that pat pat it reminded me of that stuff, man. It was just good time party rock, man. And and just and and for for a short little Englishman, he had a lot of soul. Uh, and yeah, uh, we saw them. I, I got to interject, Jim, uh, as you well recall in 2015. Yep, we saw the Stones and Ian and Lois Lonely Boys at Zilker Park, and that was a phenomenal show. It was, and I got and that we talked a little bit about that show when I met Mac, um, and uh, just told him how much I love that show. And they did a, a the faces glad and sorry, which was a Ronnie Lane mm -hmm. song. And mm -hmm. I just told him how much I I loved uh, hearing that, and he and he went off on on just what a prince of a human being Ronnie Lane Ronnie, was. Oh yeah, never mind. Keep so, going. So anyway, um, next on my list is you know classic rock organ virtuoso uh buff mentioned in his honorable mention and that's john lord of deep purple 
and John Lord, if for no other reason than the fact that he didn't run straight into his Leslie rotating speaker cabinets with his Hammond B3, he ran them through a Marshall guitar amp into the Leslie's. And listen, who doesn't like that? Listen, I mean, Highway Star, uh, uh, Lazy, of course, Smoke on the Water. If you listen, I mean, his organ on the intro of Smoke on the Water is heavier than Richie Blackmore's guitar. Right. Yes, okay? it is. Yeah, yes, it absolutely. is. Uh, and, and he was a great player. Listen to some of it. Lazy is just a great, you know, those guys could play, man. I'm not the world's biggest Deep Purple fan, but geez, hearing Blackmore and Lord together playing was really, really something. And you got you, you to gotta put them on the list. I almost put Billy Preston on. And you know what? There's a controversy over whether that mushroom cloud afro was a wig or not. I think it was. But um, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, so I had one more s- slot on my list. And I thought, you know, I've got all this classic rock and this, um, you know, early rock R&B stuff. What about someone who, you know, whose main keyboard instrument was synthesizer? It seems like I should pay attention to that. And rather than going prog, and this is certainly not for virtuosity, but this is for using the synthesizer as the construct for an entire genre of music. This guy's name is Vince Clark. And Vince Clark uh, basically laid the foundation for what I call synth pop, right? Or, or that, that's that, right. That synth stuff. He, uh, his, his band Yazoo with him or Yaz, uh, depending on what side of the Atlantic you're on with Alison Moyer on vocals was just terrific. Uh, you know, uh, and he was a great composer and, um, you know, then, uh, Depeche Mode, he was uh, on the ground floor of Depeche oh, Mode wow. before yeah. he, before he left to start Erasure. So he has been the the brains behind all of those British synth pop bands, which you can take or leave, but his influence on that genre of music cannot be overstated. Uh, he I, just, I get what you're saying; may not be your cup of tea, but you can't but you can't dismiss the contribution. Right when when you talk about keyboards, you know, for the last thirty years, I mean, the the whole idea of of the synth in modern music, you know, and, you know, you can trace so much stuff back to that. You can trace a lot of stuff in electronica. You can trace a lot of stuff in hip hop, actually, back to some of that synth pop stuff. Right. There's a lot of samples in hip hop that, that came from, from a lot of that stuff. And so Vince Clark is a guy that's not well known outside of that community, but is, was really a genius about how to, how to use the synthesizer in pop music and as the basis for pop music. So I got I to gotta give him some, uh, some recognition on my list as well. You know, speaking of Yaz and Yazoo, uh, they were kind of like Eurythmics before Eurythmics. Yeah. Well, a tre- yeah. Treme- tremendous female singer and a male synth player. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and Alison Moyer, you know, has a whole, whole nother thing about great, great, uh, soulful singers who were, who were British. Yeah. Which her yeah. voice is just completely unexpected when you when you hear those that real clinical precise yeah, synthesizer yeah, and all of yeah, a sudden yeah. this soulful voice comes in it's really something but anyway Don't go! that's my list i i have a couple I like honorable I, I have a couple really of over, uh, honorable mentions that sort of got overlooked because 
There's all done. Good list, Jim. Thank I you. like it. Thank you. Floyd Kramer. Oh, yeah. Sure. Just the honorable mention, just, you know, and I'm not sure who played the organ parts. Uh, the did the organ in uh, Pro Call Harem. They had a couple of different keyboard players. But, man, you can't dismiss the organ bits and water shade of pill mm -hmm. as having shook the rock and roll tree, man. Yep. And th oh, yeah. them were my two. I, and I'm not uh, – Pro Call didn't, – didn't Pro Call Harem had two guys that played keyboards, right? Not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, the, Josh uh, Phillips is one, and then the lead singer. The, si uh, the not... singer uh, whose name I'm blanking on was also did a keyboard stint in the, yeah in, in Ringo's All Star Band as well, and uh, Gary Gary Brooker. Brooker, yeah, yeah. Brooker, right. But I'm not I'm not sure who did that. I'm that pretty, sure, sure, it was, I'm pretty sure it was Gary. Uh, I remember one of the interviews they did with Ringo's all-star band and the Ringo was talking about, you all remember his organ part on the uh, whiter shade of pale. Uh, so, I mean, who, I'm, I'm not positive. Who, whoever played that solo, man. And if, if whoever, you know, the, the, whoever did that, if they never did anything else, that would have been fine. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. Everybody's a good list again, man. So good. That's fun. Well, I guess that'll wrap it up. I got uh, uh I've got you an assignment for next week. Okay. Uh, the title the title of next week's is "Me So Horny." Uh oh. Yeah, that's right. Great oh, horn, dude. Man. You're not really gonna make us do a horn section thing. Great right? horn players or horn sections. Okay, so, so we got so we got Tower of Power and we got Clarence Clements and I can't no, think of don't, anything don't, else. Don't 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 start doing the Billy Eli thing where well, you name all the people good, that are going to be on the list. You name them all and then and people go, well, damn, I was going to have that on my list. <sighs> yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway, there's a ton of great horn players. It's got to be horns. Besides, huh? It's got to be horns. Yeah, well, yeah, me so horny. That's what it is. It's horn God sections. It. It's not acoustic guitar. It's horns. Horns, and horns are very important. Um, Especially if you're a cow. <laughs> or, a, or a taxi driver. <laughs> or a Texas longhorn. Or, or a taxi driver. Took them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a bit of Texas Longhorn. <laughs> well, anyway, that's what it's going to be. Great horn, horn players or horn sections. And that's a lot to work with, believe it or not. Once you start thinking about the horns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with where this is going. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't going anywhere. It just stopped <laughs> right there. It stopped and it's not going forward. Um, Before we sign off, I, I would like to encourage our listeners to send in book ideas to Patrick Beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. What? 
like well, like what I need to read or what I need. No, to write? what you need to write a book okay. you need to write. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We, we should we should have a contest. Well, I, I'll read it what he needs to write the definitive, the definitive. Okay, book. man, you you do not get to use the word the the words Patrick Beach with the word definitive <laughs> book on the uh, replacements. Oh, I think I think that's already been it's done by been Bob. Done. Yeah. No, no, it can still be done better because no. I don't think I know any, I've never seen anybody with more passion than on the subject. So, you know, it's like, but that's kind of gotten to be like improving a, like a boogie riff. Man. You know, There's sometimes really we ought to do a show on mashups and like say, have our two, what we like to see a band, two bands join together and become one band. What would those bands be? Wouldn't that be great? So I'm, be, I'm thinking a replacement of New York Dolls, but I don't know. You mean like Foo Fighters and or uh, Dave Grohl and Mick Jagger? Yeah, exactly. Like Dave yeah. Grohl and Mick Jagger. That, well, like Dave Grohl and anybody. Okay, you know, would it would it just be bands or because I'm I'm thinking about a particular album uh, that Jack uh, that Loretta Lynn album produced by Jack White. Oh, that was good. It was, it was good. It was, it was good. very good. I mean, that's, you know, anytime genres cross over like that, it's like we talked about last week with um, uh, Rick Rubin working with Johnny Cash. I mean, who would have thought that that would turn out so wonderful, you know, but it did. Anyway, that's it. And uh, we're going to go out with um, Feet First. Well, no, one all two is 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 you know an, an overplayed song, I'm sure. But my number one guy was Chuck Bell, and his number one uh, piano thing is Jessica. So we're gonna play that. Uh, I never get one, tired of it. It's kind of a bouncy tune. I never really get tired of uh, Almond Brothers Band and uh, Jessica. And that'll do it. And uh, right. we'll see you cats in the sand pile. See y'all. See y'all in, in the mosh pit. Yep. All right.
the wonderful Almond Brothers Band from the 1973 album Brothers and Sisters. Featured prominently on that song, the great Chuck Lavelle on piano, who ended up, you may have uh, heard previously, as my number one pick for keyboard player uh, in rock and roll. Man, he's the greatest. He can play any style and pretty much has played any style. That's going to wrap up the program. I want to thank uh, my uh, partners, Billy Eli, Patrick Beach, and Jim Hempel, as always. Always fun with those guys. Great fun. And thank you to you for listening to the podcast and for helping us spread the word around uh, the uh, internet through social media, email, any way you can, please share the link and see if we can get more, even more people listening to the program. We do this every week and uh, it's always a lot of fun. And if you have emails that you want to send us to uh, comment or uh, you know, offer suggestions or anything, just write to kudzumag at yahoo.com, K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G, kudzumag at yahoo.com. And uh, we want to thank, as always, our sponsors for the program, Springer Mountain Farms Chicken, Springer Mountain Farms down in Georgia, the best chicken in the world, fresh chicken, responsibly raised on family farms. With no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts, none of the junk that you often get at corporate from corporate farms. No, this is healthy. This is healthy. This is healthy protein for you folks. Always look for the Springer Mountain Farms name in your local market or you can even have it delivered contactlessly. It's hard for me to say that word, no contact delivery and brought to your door. All you gotta do is go online to springermountain.com, springermtn.com, Springer Mountain Farms. Three names, three words to remember when it comes to chicken, Springer Mountain Farms. Our other sponsor is the fantastic rock and roll band called the Box Masters, who are currently uh, promoting their latest wonderful album, Light Race. You can get the album on LP, vinyl, uh, CD downloads, and a lot of past uh, CDs and other um, products, all kinds of cool stuff at theboxmasters.com. Go to theboxmasters.com for all your Boxmasters needs and stay tuned because they're going to be announcing dates hopefully soon for a summer tour. Uh, didn't get to do one last year because of COVID, but hopefully uh, we're going to be able to see them this year. That'll be great theboxmasters.com thanks again for listening to the kudzu radio hour and be sure to tune in next week we're going to be talking about 
horn players. Great saxophone, trumpet, trombone, horn players, or horn sections, you know. Some bands are known, you know, for horn sections like Chicago and Blood, Sweat and Tears, etc. You know, so many, so many great horn sections. And we'll be doing our usual yuck yuck talk about stuff. So hope you'll tune in then too. Once again, thanks for listening. I'm Michael Buffalo Smith. Be sure to check out Kudzu Magazine at kudzumag.com, K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G, kudzumag.com. We'll see you cats down the road. Thanks.